What up? What up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Panelano, and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings, and welcome to our new episode, Mobile Homes with Franco Perez. We are here to help you crush your goals. Guys, we got a dope come up story today and a new investment strategy that you haven't heard yet on this podcast. So honestly, I'm as excited as you guys are probably listening. So Franco, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. No doubt. No doubt. So I know that we got a chance to chat a little bit before the show um, in terms of where you're at, where you've been and how you gotten here. So I'd love for you to maybe dive in a little bit deep and share with our listeners how you got started in real estate. Oh, totally. I, I guess it starts really kind of coming from an immigrant family here from the Philippines. Uh, I grew up in the Philippines when I was younger and then moved over here uh, to San Jose, California. And there was a lot of family issues that came up. My, my parents basically divorced. My dad was the main breadwinner and left our family and left me, my single mom and my younger sister to kind of figure out how to survive. I was 17 oh. at that time. And, um, you know, I came from kind of being an entitled student, uh, you know, and, and coming to having to figure out how to come up with money to pay for rent just to keep uh, just to keep our uh, a roof over our head. Right. And yeah. with that, with that, it was one of the darkest and most painful times of my life, you know, just switching from being supported into having to figure things out. And I was in pure survival mode. And I, I remember at the end of every single month, trying to gather whatever money I could, even borrowing money just to pay for rent, right? And, and just covering rent. And, I, and I, I remember reflecting on like, hey, I feel like we're great people. We're good people. Why is it that we're stuck in these situations without benefits or, or without, and having to figure things out from here? Um, Long story short, got into real estate, did pretty well in that, being an agent, that sort of thing. Um, after I kind of got us to a point of being able to survive, I really reflected again and wanted to see like, man, you know, I'm doing great in real estate because I was in survival mode and just did anything I could. But now I want, you know, I started to hate Real, being a real estate agent because the nature is kind of just like helping the richest people we can buy the most expensive homes that they can, you know? And, and to me, that really wasn't me. And I, I wanted to find something that would help people that were in my shoes of that pain, whether it's an immigrant family or a teacher that's trying to survive in a main city. And I wanted to find what I could build to be able to give back to those people that could barely afford rents and barely afford uh, surviving, right? So with that, I did government stuff, hate, didn't like it very much. And then I came across mobile homes and come to find out mobile homes are a very, um, it's a very misunderstood asset class. It's it's complete. There was, there's a lot of bad myths about it. There's a lot of bad stigmas about it. When we think mobile homes, we think trailer trash. We think what we see in Hollywood, but come to find out they're perfect financial tools for the middle class and then also for the park owners that own it. So really dove deep into that, helped a lot of people get out of the rental rat race into their first piece of home ownership into getting a mobile home. And, and, and at, as I've done that several times, I come to find out that it's a perfect stepping stone to get them out of rent 
and start their ownership journey because in places like San Jose, the numbers will be different in different areas. But in San Jose, renting an apartment is 3000 a month, a one bedroom, one bath apartment. Buying a median price home is $1.6 million, right? Oh so if my God. It's <laughs> insane. So if you're yeah. trying, how can you imagine getting out of paying this rent rat race and one day coming up with the six figure down payment to buying a, a, a single family home? It's so difficult. And this is that perfect in-between, that stepping stone that they can use to re really be that catalyst for them to get ahead, right? And to get out of that race. So um, sorry if I went on a tangent, but uh, but we went, yeah. But basically we did that. And then now we're converting a lot of old mobile homes for residents and park owners to very nice, beautiful, like three bedroom, two bath, 15, 1600 square feet homes. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of our thing. So I love that because you figure out a spot in the market where you can figure to come up with a game plan to execute and make a couple of dollars while I guess procuring some goodwill as well, right? For the community. Absolutely. So what does that first deal look like in terms of, all right, I know that I want to take a mobile home and turn it into a 1600 square foot home. Like, what are you going to do? What are the, what are the pieces of the puzzle you had to figure out? Oh gosh. Um, first it was trying to find, I didn't have capital or any money. Um, so trying to find someone that would really trust me to, to figure this out. Cause, cause these parks were built in the sixties and seventies. They weren't really meant for high density housing, uh, right. but they were in prime areas, like right across the street from Google, right across the street from the Samsung headquarters. Right. And, and knowing what I know, there's someone that's going to be see this of value and you see a lot of these old 700 square foot homes that have lots beside them where we can optimize that land so i really did a lot of pitching to so many different investors and my first two deals after pitching so much i kind of gave up and was like dude just you reap all the profit. I want nothing from you. You get all the benefit. Just let me work this with you so I can execute my, my theory, execute my problem and, and turn one of these old, uh, old homes into something beautiful. Right. Yeah. Um, that finding funding was one of the most difficult parts, but after executing it, working with construction crews, working with factories that build modular homes and getting them to build what we wanted to build after doing it the first time, and people actually seeing for themselves how much of a great idea this is, that's where it really bolstered off. But it was it was also being resourceful at that time because I knew that I had to document everything correctly. I had to be on top of everything because it's 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 my kind of like my life on the line and my reputation on the line. So after having two successful prototypes that have done well for the investors, sharing that success story of the investor, then you can kind of work down and like, hey, how about we do this again at 50-50 profit, that sort of thing, right? So, oh, yeah. but getting it started is, I think, uh, something that's uh, is always kind of the hardest part, but uh, and it's hard for people to to get past that. So Franco, not saying that you worked for free, but you were almost willing to work for free in order to get that proof of concept done. And once you had the proof of concept and had some experience, then you could start to, you know, show your worth to people and, and partner. Exactly that. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Because the average person's not willing to do that. 
you know, yeah. they want to get paid on every single deal. And especially if you're starting out, sometimes you have to sacrifice a little bit. Oh, Absolutely. yeah, man. Hell yeah. I think I think that's what's kind of lost. I mean, I'm a millennial, but I think that's kind of what's lost on the younger generation. I'm like that old person now. I had to walk to school 15 miles uphill both ways, right? But um, yeah. yeah, man, I think that people aren't willing to trade some time for the education. And I'd much rather trade my time for the education in the beginning then, you know, I do have a bachelor's degree, but I like the trading of time at a younger age in order to fuel that success later down yeah, the road. I think it's a generational thing. And I think it's how you grew up too, you know, and it's like, yeah. wh what were the circumstances? Cause you know, you'll have some younger people that feel that they're entitled to work, giving them, you know, the success that they deserve. And then you have people that learn how to fight for what they need to deserve right and there's a clear difference and you'll see it in people dude I, so it's interesting that we haven't talked about this in a podcast but like you just set the light bulb off in my head right there's a huge difference between being handed something and having to work for it and i know me personally like i've had to work for stuff my whole life so everything that i have now i've had to put in the work i've had to put in a tremendous amount of work and it sounds like you came from a very similar circumstance think so too I, I mean i and and i what i find with a lot of whether it's an investor or someone that's came up i think they've gone through some sort of pain as well i think that's a relevant thing for them or they've they've seen their parents grind right and and appreciated that and and i think that's where it comes from but you know everyone's life is different and everyone has a different story right i'm going, I'm going with the grinding parents so growing up uh, my my dad would work seven to three as a union carpenter. And then my mama worked three to 11 as a secretary of the hospital. And the nights that she didn't work, she would take one class every semester. And then she finally got her nursing degree during my sophomore year of college. Wow. So it was, you know, that stretch of time, but essentially like it was a single parent household during the week because one parent would get us on the bus, one parent would get us off the bus and they were both working in order to provide a good life for us. So when you're talking about watching your parents grind, that resonates with me. I, I watched that my whole life. No, totally. That really showed me like, hey, listen, if you're willing to put in the work, you can have anything. And then my oh. dad always told me you have to work smarter, not harder. <laughs> He's like, don't go swing a hammer. He's like, figure out how to be on the other side. So <laughs> I think I've done an OK job with that. But uh, anybody listening in, don't be scared of hard work, man. That's the bridge that's going to get you there. 100 percent. So, Franco, oh, like, tell us about your business now and especially like what's your biggest challenges at this moment with your business? I'd say um, so our business now we're, you know, we've expanded from this Bay Area to working to expand to L.A. County and San Diego County. Um, with that, you know, we work direct to consumer a lot, but we also do a service direct to park owners as well, where we help park owners build the value of their their asset as a park owner, and then also creating plans for them to help incentivize residents to uh, to upgrade their properties as well. So it's what I love about this industry is that it's kind of a win-win for both parties. And you'll see it, you'll see the collaboration and the shared assets, uh, I mean, the shared risk, because what's cool about these tenants is they have an investment into their into the park owner's investment too, right? So they are paying for the home itself. They own the home. Uh, and then also the park owners have to keep up the park because they want to keep their, their park uh, at a high value too. So we work at both ends. And then we do a bit of consulting with helping park owners 
how how can they raise the value? How can they refinance? That sort of thing. But in the end, we try to be that overall anything around mobile homes. So we do the financing side, whether it's buying a resale and, and that sort of thing, anything construction relevant to that too. What do the numbers on a typical conversion project look like? Like buy a mobile home for X and sell it for Y and you've got Z cost in between. Um, this will be contextual to the area, just like, you know, but for example, in San Jose, if somebody uh, has an old unit, and um, believe it or not, these old single wide sell for about 160,000. Um, and then if they chose to replace their old home with a new one, the total end to end from replacement uh, to moving into the new one would be about 260,000. So that's kind of that starting point. And then from there, what the resident should be able to realize is that, hey, I put 260000 towards my home, but guess what? The new resale value of this home, if I were to sell it a year or two from now, is actually going to be like three seventy-five to 420000 right? So probably the largest financial gain most people will see in their lives, right? Exactly. Like the speed. Exactly. And, and there's a lot to do with a lot of these old homes having very low construction standards back then to how we're building it now to where lenders will actually trust to finance it because we build them to HUD code and we build them to basically be permanent housing, just classified as a mobile home. Yep. Nice. So, yeah. But you got to see, I, I don't know if you got a chance to see our, uh, our the videos we make and that sort of thing. We try to create very visual and educational videos around how these look because because of the bad stigmas, we always work very hard to push to push challenges of how these look and really fight those stigmas as much as we can. We built a home that has a 12 foot high ceiling and just like waterfall marble countertops. And oh, damn. yeah, I love that. These aren't your 1950 mobile homes. <laughs> no, they aren't. <laughs> Well, you so know, what? It, good. I, I love the fact that it helps people gain access to affordable housing and what I think is un unaffordable in a sense, right? So if you think your median home is 1.6 million, that's crazy. I mean, our medium home, median home sale in Rhode Island is probably around, I don't know, 400, Frank. What do you think? 375 yeah. to 400? number, 400. Yeah. So and, and these numbers ratio out based on the area. I was just helping someone in Austin and, you know, you know, those numbers are pretty much in that same ratio, except let's say 40% less, right? So real estate is about 600K. The mobile homes, the new mobile homes are about 230K and gotcha. renting 2,500, right? But the key thing is that people always steer away from this because it's misunderstood. But we have a lot of these low-income families that are that are ignoring this and don't see this as an option. Right. Unfortunately, in the real estate world, the advice we get from real estate agents is like, hey, you don't make enough, just save up more. Maybe in a year you can buy something, right? And that's kind of, and yeah. these clients are always being ignored because they don't feel that they have a solution for them. Now, the clients that we end up helping, it's so it's so amazing. It's so fulfilling to me because they're so grateful that we're just listening to them. And then by the time that they end up with a home, they're in tears of joy because they never thought they'd be able to own anything because they've talked to several different agents and been turned down by every single one. 
And then finally, they have a solution and a product that's going to help them get ahead, right? And yeah. that's, it's, it's, you know, we talk a lot about when we talk about business and, and finance and all that stuff. But what's weird for me is that my biggest pay to me is really the fulfillment and seeing each family, whether it's an immigrant family, seeing a teacher be able to have that sense of joy. And that's something yeah. that I'm proud of is building something that will continue to do that and create success stories and starting stories for these families that deserve just the same amount of help. 100%. Do you consider the industry to be like almost like a net negative right now in which mobile home parks are, are on the decline, I assume? Probably a combination of regulations. I assume that it's pretty hard to start a new mobile home park. And I assume that the average city or town doesn't want it, but it sounds like it's a great affordable housing play. You know, that's interesting. I'm actually going to be speaking at this Congress event about mobile homes and how they're misunderstood pretty soon. It's actually in mid-April, but there's a lot of discussion on it. There are, every city has its own different goals of affordable housing. I think being able to open and build a mobile home park in a metro area is going to be close to impossible. Just outside right. may be very possible. I, I have friends that are opening parks outside of Austin, outside of Reno area, awesome. friend that's building in Bozeman. And these are becoming great success stories for that. Um, but yes, there are, we do fight a lot of government issues. Um, but I think it's because a lot of people see it as a bad thing. A lot of people see these homes are only depreciate. A lot of the people see what they see on the media is like, hey, these are the mobile home parks are probably bringing criminals into our neighborhood and that sort of thing, right? And, and these are all complete misunderstandings. But um, I'd say what you'll find is a lot of these park owners that are doing good and, and they love the product and they're trying to, to actually acquire more parks and build more parks because it's worked so great for them. Frank, Plus, what's what's wrong with you? I mean, the average politician is a housing expert. I mean, we <laughs> that. I mean, Frank's good jokes know. today. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, that's why I stopped. Do that's why I didn't pursue doing the government route. You know, I understand. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, but you know, I I think when you have a passionate enough why, you really come to find out where you can build the most value, right? So. As much as I hate dealing with the government on this sort of thing, there are things that I, I, I'm willing to take my energy and focus and just help out a little bit here and there, you know, so. So just, I was thinking like in the beginning, like when you're telling me your story about how you started, I'm like, how the hell do you even figure out like where to buy mobile homes in order to upgrade them? I'm like, what do you just Google it? So I Googled it as we're on the podcast. Yeah. But this is, this is kind of wild that you can buy a three bed, two bath. 1492 square feet and it starts in the 140s before options yeah. like the picture is this looks nice yeah so honestly we're building yeah the uh yeah. what do you call it but yes over on the east coast i was just there helping something in kentucky that's the price point you're looking at the finishes they look pretty really nice right and these are yeah. perfect because you know kind of like apartments you people always look at apartments as their option but you have get you know you have apartments that are very poor in places you don't want your kids running around and the, and you have apartments that are luxurious and very nice right now 
with parks, we have maybe some bad parks that give us a bad look, but there's also beautiful, nice parks. It's not just the homes themselves, but these communities are like resort-like locations too. And then you have that sense of community, you have your own pride of ownership, and then everyone kind of reaps the benefit together, right? Yeah. I mean, I now you had the wheels turning in my head, like, can we build this in our local area? Because it's like, I know that a three bed, two bath, we could probably rent for, I don't know, I would say 22 to 2400 a month when if people heard it was a mobile home, but at a purchase price of 140, like that's a slam dunk. Manufactured housing. Manufactured housing. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I think, I think it's brilliant. So <clears throat> when you started, like, how do you start looking to figure out who's, who you're going to source these properties from? Like when, when you go through the upgrade, do you build it on site? Or are you buying from a manufactured home provider? From a from a factory builder, uh, but okay. the the units and spaces themselves. Every city has its own different nature. Really, a lot okay. of our stuff is working with park owners. Um, they usually have a few homes that are unoccupied or um, distressed that need to be replaced and that sort of thing. So we work with them. We work work with the park owners to find them win-win situations to upgrade these units in their parks, you know, and and that sort of thing. So, have you ever done it where you like you've opened your own park and just brought in the new the new builds in terms of the manufactured homes? That's something we're dealing with, and it's it's. To be honest, it's the first time I'm a part of this project, nope. uh, but uh, but yes, we do we are doing that, and my friend is also doing that over in Bozeman as well. So I love this. I like I I think that this is a brilliant idea, just because mm-hmm. I mean entry entry price seems right, and I, honestly, in our local area, in our state alone, we have a housing shortage of thirty thousand units, and that's only going to increase. Mm-hmm. And I think that a strategy like this could provide what the market's looking for, but also help an investor earn a pretty nice return as well. Absolutely. And, and which what we're finding too, and is like, you have a lot of these local cities that are having, that are in the future going to have big housing problems. Like the Tesla Gigafactory just built a huge factory over east of Reno. Now, where are these, you know, where are these workers going to live? They're not going to be able to build homes fast enough so right. that for example is a perfect example of an area where we can deploy what we're doing to build a ton of housing out of an assembly line and create something that the workers there can stay at and and live at a fast rate and an affordable rate as well yeah. but you know it's markets like these that we need to find ways to keep home ownership uh, affordable for the people that are working around it right it, it's right. sad we all know like teachers or like a lot of these important people that have to move out of our area just to chase that dream of home ownership right yeah. and and it's unfortunate but they really don't have these options to be able to own they don't have um they don't see options like this as something that can help them so um but yeah that's awesome. All my, right, I'm just ask- blown. I'm looking at this like the the company that I found is based out of Delaware, and this looks like a nice ass ranch. Like you, I want to know this is manufactured prefab. Like I'm, I'm so impressed. I never looked into this. This is impressive for sure. I have before. There's there's some nice possibilities. There's a place up in uh, just over the line in Mass. I can tell you about too. 
Is that the one in Attleboro? No, no um, going north towards Worcester. Got it. Awesome. So, uh, Franco, let's ask uh, the same questions we ask everybody else, all our guests. The first question is, if someone wants to become a better investor, what would you recommend? If someone wanted to become a better investor, I'd say I've one thing that's helped me is follow economics, follow where good jobs and good pay will continue to happen. Um, that's probably my big advice on that. Sounds good. Next question is, what is one book that you've read that you would consider a must read? Oh, you probably heard this several times, but pro, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if you heard of it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> the Cashflow Kings is kind of named after the Cashflow Quadrant. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. that's a good point, actually. I forgot that he copied you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I appreciate the sense of humor. That's dope. Yeah. Good job, man. Third question. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which means five or 10 years down the road, where do you see you and your business? You know, I think for us, we we really aim to be multi-state and building a lot more affordable housing options for people. I think not just what I see in the business, but I I, I want, which is why we grow our YouTube channel so much of how this works. My goal is for people to see mobile homes for what they are as a beautiful thing and a beautiful, helpful thing for the general people and for the working class. And that's really our mission is to showcase these as beautiful products, as beautiful tools for people that need it and not misunderstood by the media and by stigmas and, and that sort of thing. I love that. This is this is like blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Shout out to your YouTube channel, by the way. If folks listening in, uh, where can they go to search for YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah. Uh, our stuff's called Franco Mobile Homes. It's all under one link. It's www.franco.tv, and cool. there you can kind of see all our stuff. Awesome. So you guys heard it here from the man himself, Franco Perez. Uh, franco.tv and you can learn the entire game on how to buy manufactured homes and crush it in real estate um we hope that you guys enjoyed this episode of the cashflow kings podcast in between podcasts check out our website on the cashflowkings.com and give us a follow on instagram under the handle the cashflow kings cheers to your success the cashflow kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only we do not give official legal tax or investment advice